This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got Dr. John Deloney with me. John, what's up, buddy? What up? How we doing, man? I'm awesome. Hey, we got the same mics. I agree. I know. Um, I got your text. You're like, hey, dude, let's get the same mic. Yeah. And I was like, I'm in. Bring out the sure mic. Exactly. The Joe well, Rogan mic, as everybody calls it. The Joe. How you got the Joe Rogan mic? Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I've got the John Deloney mic is what I've got today. <laughs> and you were on the show, man. We did this uh, June 24th, 2021. We chatted. You had one book called Redefining Anxiety. Now you have another book called Own Your Past change your future, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into and talk about, man, but it was, it was so good to have you. And I'm glad you're back. Dude, I'm so grateful for your hospitality, man. That's really kind of you. So we're going to dive right in because if people need to know who John Deloney is, they can, uh, they can listen to our last episode, which is almost a year ago, but just real quick. You are, like I said, two-time author, uh, mental health expert, the host of the John Deloney show. You got two PhDs and, uh, two, two plus decades of counseling, man. So you're helping tons of people and, and serving. And five and I, gotta chickens. Tell you, I got five chickens, two dogs. five chickens and some kids. Yeah. And some How many kids you got two, two kids, five chickens, a wife. And uh, some out. some land, and you're you're down there in a beautiful Nash Vegas. That's right, Nash Vegas. And you got a new dentist, Caleb Estes. I'm hyped about too. this, man. I've been needing this <laughs> for a long time. Just my uh, wife. We're going to uh, dive right in. You can see this F greater than P on my uh, microphone here, and uh, I talk about this on a lot of these shows probably since uh, you and I started recording. But that's our mission statement: is helping people achieve a future greater than your past. And then uh, I see the name of your book here, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. I love it, man. I couldn't connect anymore with just even the title. The book is phenomenal. So when you hear those words, helping people achieve a future greater than your past, what comes to mind for you? Um, man, we, we live in this ecosystem that has really given us two paths forward. The first path is everything that happened to you, you will only be the worst thing that ever happened right? Everything that has happened to you is a limiting factor and it's ongoing and it continues and will always hold you down because you're broken and you're dysfunctional. So the abuse, the people who treated you differently because you were the wrong color, the people who hurt you, that's who you are. That's your identity. And that's all you'll ever be. And you need somebody to come save you because you're not enough. And the other narrative we've been given is if you have a feeling you're a coward and you're weak, and you're a wimp, suck it up, grind it, and just keep taking the next step. And um, both of those paths, I think, um, are nonsense. And so really, this book is the third way. When I hear helping your f- 
future be better than your past? I think, yes, that's a much more succinct. Way. I took me like 250 pages to say that you said that on the back of your microphone. That's incredible. <laughs> um, I have to acknowledge what happened. I've got to acknowledge what happened in my life. And then I have to ask myself that one terrifying, scary, brave question, which is, so what am I going to do next? And that's where most of us get caught. Man. We don't ask that next question. Yeah. I think that's great. And for you, it's, yeah, it's on the back of the mic, but for me, it was, it was, I've been doing this for 20 plus years, you know, being in a financial uh, wealth management business and owning a firm and, and been doing this for a long time. And so it's two decades of that, right. Of helping people achieve a future greater than your past. And, and what I like to spend time on with our clients and with other people, or maybe somebody I'm interviewing on a podcast is it doesn't mean your past is bad, right? Maybe, maybe you had a great upbringing and, right. and, but you still want a future that is greater than your past, or maybe you did have a very bad past and you're trying to run away from that. And you're trying to have a future greater than your past. And so for us, it's really sitting down and defining what is the future, right? What does that look like? What's that process like for John Deloney? Um, defining my future right now, yeah. it's, it's hanging on man. <laughs> this, yeah. this whole adventure here. I, I had uh, built my career up to do something completely different. And now it, this new thing is, uh, kind of lost its mind a little bit. So we're having, I'm having a blast, but it's trying to just figure out and learn in real time. Ultimately, my future looks like, um, can I get into a place, be one of the first people in the history of my family to get in a place that we have financial security, we can all exhale. Um, everybody can sleep at night because there's not dragons chasing us out the door. Um, can I get in a place where uh, I can take my foot off the gas a little bit and be present and be whole. And so that's what we're looking for. And then work just becomes a, and it's just a way to fulfill a personal mission, which is I want people to be well, man. I want people to look in the mirror and be happy with what they see. And that's tough for most of us these days. Yeah. So when you think about that compared to what you were doing in the past versus now what you're doing in the present, how are those things two totally different things that you never thought you'd be doing what you're doing right now? The mission's still the same. When I was the dean of students, or I was a college professor, or I was um, helping do, you know, a police department do death notifications at two thirty in the morning, um, I always wanted people to be a little bit more well. Before that, um, so that's that's been about the last seven, eight, nine years. Before that, my life was a hundred percent about what title can I get, how much money can I make, um, how cool can I look doing this thing, can I get this position at this place, can I get this promotion. And that was a hollow um, travesty of a journey there. It's a way, complete and utter waste of life. And so um, it shifted now. The mechanics of the day-to-day, -day, dude, it's a, it's a thousand. I'm wearing makeup, for God's sake, right now. I just got off the <laughs> radio show, right? So my whole life is different now. Um, uh, I've got to, like, people comment on my clothes. Nobody ever did that at my other job. And I've got to be really tuned into some of the literature in certain ways that I didn't need to do. Because if I tell somebody to do X, Y, and Z with their kid, they're going to go do it. So I got to be right. So yeah, um, it's, it's a, it's a radically different life. Uh, but at the same day, at the same time, the mission is the same. Yeah. So paint that picture for us. You just got off the John Deloney show. You're part of the Dave Ramsey network. Uh, so obviously tons and tons of listeners. I mean, mostly a call in type show, right? That's what drives the, that's what drives the, probably the script every day. Obviously there's some preparation that goes into that obviously, but talk to us about that, man, the pressure you have for that and, and, and look at it from the lens of you've got how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people's listening and calling in versus the person that's driving down the road today. Maybe they've got a board meeting or maybe they've got this thing, right. That's going on in their personal life or at work. 
How do we get through the pressure and strive through the pressure, thrive through the pressure, I should say? I love that question. Um, I really am, com- am completely divorced from the external outcomes. I have metrics meetings and I get all in there. I'm a data nerd. And so I wonder how the business works. And um, I like to know every nook and cranny. But when I'm sitting in front of somebody and a caller calls in, like the call I took today, that um, a husband and wife are really disconnected um, in their intimacy. And uh, a, a dad has a, um, a son who's really struggling with anxiety and I had to call the police on him. I, dude, I could care less about how many people are on the, the numbers of the people on the other end of this. Right now, I've got a hurting person in front of me saying, hey, do you see me and can you help me? And so often we over... Um, we take in too much sensory information when they're in the middle of a, of a presentation that we got to make or prepping for something, or we have to write an article and how many readers are going to, man, the, the thing I always want to keep in mind is how simple can I make this and how narrow can I make, um, my audience, which is generally an audience of one. And if I can do that, man, then we're off to the races. It's the same in your, your business. And I think in, this is the second challenge here. Somebody looks at you and says, I come from a lot and I don't want to be the one who blows this. How do I manage my money? Or I came from nothing and I've scratched and clawed my way to a little bit of something. Help me pass yeah. this on to my next generation. And here's the thing. You give them wisdom and advice and they go do it. And so yeah. you better be right. And I didn't recognize that when I was, you know, as a college professor, nobody listens to what I'm saying. I tell kids to do this stuff all the time. Nobody listens to me, but here, if I tell somebody, go get a psychiatric eval of your kid and watch out for benzodiazepines when they, they're going to go do that. And so I better be right. And I better be on top of the literature and I better be on top of making sure I know what I'm talking about so that somebody takes action on something. And I don't, I'm not just some popping off influencer running their mouth trying to get clear. Yeah. But it also comes with your, with your, uh, the wisdom you have from being doing what you've been doing for 20 plus years. I mean, people want to be told what to do as well. I believe sometimes, right? So it depends but I mean, I had a guy the other day, right? Markets are going crazy. What should I do? And it was a, you know, a pretty good chunk of change. And I told him exactly what I would do. And he said, let's go. He goes, that's what I want to hear. This guy's the doctor. And he said, look, I come into a room and I can't tell a patient or ask a patient, I don't know, what do you want? What do you want to do? Right? So for those people listening, I mean, you got to be strong and you got to know your craft, know your thing and be willing to put it on the line and maybe not get the client or, or get that thing done. Because you said something that they didn't want you to hear, but you still got to say what you believe. That's right. And um, never, I think we have a strange vortex right now going on within the information wars right now. And this idea of truth versus belief. Like, I believe this and I believe this. That's cool, but the data says that, right? So I I think there's this both and. I love what you said. It's that old Nassim Taleb skin in the game that I love. Um, one of the lessons I learned when I was working in higher ed was I used to always ask, like, hey, what do you think about fill any number of issues? What do you think about climate change? What do you think about spraying your bug spray on your kids? And I worked with so many brilliant minds. They would rattle off all of these studies and give me like a litany of, well, this and this. And so, you know, this and this. And then their kids would come into my house and they would spray their kids now with bug spray. And I'd be like, wait a minute. I thought we just had this conversation. <laughs> so I literally, this is about 10 years ago. I quit asking, what do you think? I just don't ask that question anymore. My question is now is, what do you do in your home? What do you do with your kids? What are you doing with your money? Um, the guy that I work with, it's my financial advisor. I ask him, 
what are you doing right now with your home portfolio? Make mine match yours. Cause I know he's yeah. got a little kid too. Yeah. And that's, that's how I, you know, move forward. And I may have, I may call him and say, Hey, go ahead and pull out of bonds, even though I know that's this. And, but most of the time, like whatever's good for your family, what would you do? Right. Yep. And that's, how I try to answer calls on my show. Here's what I would yeah. do. Yeah, I love that. So, so talk to our listeners about that, that show. So when, when people are calling in, they're asking all sorts of stuff, aren't they? Yeah, they're all over the place. Um, and again, I think most of our challenges um, can be distilled down to a few categories. But yeah, man, people are, all of us, man, we're all trying to figure out what we're doing and struggling and trying to do a little bit better tomorrow and do a little bit better for our kids. And um, it's tough, man. Life's tough. All right. So we're talking to an expert here, Dr. John Deloney. And so we're going to, I'm going to, I'll be transparent and we can, we're going to have some fun. We're going to have a therapy session. Is that all right? Yes. I'm not a therapist, but we can, uh, I'm a pretend, uh, well, you're a pretend therapist. You're a podcast therapist with two <laughs> PhDs that I don't have any PhDs. They don't let guys like me get PhDs, but, <laughs> but let, let's talk about building habits, man. I, I love this, this, this topic, building habits, your mindset, your money, the things that we talk about, but, but building habits, how do we build better habits when we know what's right for us? And so here's where I'm going to be transparent. I know that eating healthier for me is better than not eating healthy, right? Yet I walk across the street today and I, I grab a, a nice pulled pork sandwich, phenomenal stuff, uh, sugar fire, give them a shout out, phenomenal food. But instead of, you know, I get me a side salad, but then I had to add the corn and all the stuff that they've got all sorts of goop into that everybody loves. So I know that probably wasn't the healthiest choice for me. So I got to build a better habit. How do I do that? Um, so I can, we can, we're just going to, we're going to pull you apart here. We're going to pull me apart right here. Let's go. All right. So I think problem number one is we spend way too much time focusing on the thing, on the behavior that we want to change. We get really obsessive about, um, I want to eat different. I want to not eat another side when I go eat, when I go into the barbecue restaurant. I want to start limiting my calories. And there's a barbecue restaurant across the street. It's incredible. So I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to get the sandwich. That's it. I might even eat the bread. I'm just going to get the meat because the meat's so delicious. And then God, it's fine. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted and sleep. Well. I'm get the, get the corn, get the corn. <laughs> and then we have this, the shame spiral that starts. And for me, the only way out of a blood sugar crash shame spiral is more sugar, of course. Right. So then I got right. ice cream on the way home. Right. That's the only way. And so if I'm going to change that behavior, the first thing I'm going to do, and this is straight from James Clear's um, stuff. I'm going to create a new identity first, not a new goal. We are a culture obsessed with goals and goals are cute and fun. Um, and they're fine. They're important, but they shouldn't be the driver. Um, they're bullet points. They're markers along the way. Think of goals like this, the, the, the dot, like the stripes in like a highway on the way to wherever it is you're going, where you're going is your identity. So I'm going to change my identity to, I am a guy who's a good steward of his body. I'm a guy who doesn't eat trash. That's who I am. I'm a guy who doesn't smoke. I'm a guy who honors his body. I'm a guy who doesn't cheat on his wife. I just don't. And so if I'm a guy who doesn't cheat on his wife, I'm going to start reverse engineering that with actions that build into that identity. So I'm building into a destination. Now I've got a place where I'm going. The, where I'm going isn't the, isn't the goal. It's the identity. And so for you, it might be, uh, I've been in your situation before. There were seasons when I was so out of control because I was so tired. I was exhausted and I was being just lazy. 
that I took my debit card out of my wallet and gave it to my wife. I had no way to buy food. I just didn't have it. And there's a couple of times I ran out of gas because I was at a gas station. And I just went to pull out my card and it was gone. I was like, oh no. And so I'm going to put barriers in the way that allow me to live into this. Um, that may be financial. That may be, I will only take my lunch to work. That may be a confessional night with your wife. So I'm going to backfill this identity with different behaviors. And then um, this is out of Anna Lemke's book. Um, her book, Dopamine Nation, is just phenomenal. It's this idea that our bodies are simply not designed to live in the world that they inhabit right now. Our bodies are designed for scarcity and for small communities to live together in relatively miserable conditions. It is not designed for, what did you say, sugar pork across the street? Yeah, sugar um, fire, yeah. Sugar fire, I can just go across the street. And if even if I don't have the money, it doesn't matter. I'll just pay for it later. And I'll just hand them a piece of plastic or a couple of sheets of paper. And they're going to hand me this incredible thing. Ah, throw the sides on. I'm going to get the cobbler too. That's cool. We're not designed for that world. We're just to get pulled pork. We would have had to been on a two week hunting expedition to get that. Paper. Yeah, you're right. So the book is about, um, I'm going to white knuckle my way through a 30 day fast. I'm going to do a 30 days and just stop whatever behavior, checking my phone, texting somebody I shouldn't be texting. Um, smoking whatever the smoking weed whatever the thing is eating right. trash, whatever you're eating is yeah i am gonna break the cycle and she goes through the dopamine science about how the other the dopamine pleasure pain balance works and it's remarkable but ultimately i've found some great success with i am gonna ride my my exercise bike in my house for 45 minutes every single day for 30 days i'm gonna do that and i'm gonna lift weights too but i will not miss that bike ride if I'm on a plane, I'm going to get to the hotel at 11 at night. I'm going to ride that bike 45 minutes. And what I found on day 31 is waking up, my body expected to go into that room. Like it just became a way of being. And now if I skip it, I know I feel so bad skipping it. It's like it's the whole reward system has inverted yeah. itself. And so I'm going to start with identity. I'm going to backfill that with action. Sometimes it's changing the environment, even as simple as turning your desk around so you don't face sugar fire every morning and just look at it. Or I'm not going to roll my windows down because I don't want to smell it, right? These are these little micro behaviors that ultimately turn into, I just, I don't know, I even look at it. That's good. And I can eat healthy at Sugar Fire too. I don't want to, I don't want to. Oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> of course. No, it sounds awesome. Here, here's the big thing. This is where I think uh, modern psychotherapy has let us down a bit. We've come to believe that if I can just get the right thoughts in the right order, I can be mentally well. Yeah. If I can just get the right thoughts in the right order, then I can build better habits, grow my business and whatever. And the reality is you've got to do stuff different. And I've got to take some pretty drastic actions if I'm going to have pretty drastic results in my life. And we don't talk about that enough, um, that act your way into thinking differently. And, and we talked back in June, you talked about your daily habits then, and it was gratitude, weights, play some music like on your guitar, take the cold tub, meditation slash prayer time, walking outside like earthing, um, and then, you know, being in your garden. I mean, uh, those are the things I think if I followed you around still now, almost a year later, am I still seeing that? Yeah, my cold tub's gone about the, the way of the buffalo, so I need to get me a new, uh, I need to get me like a new thing. One. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on the whole... Um, I run real, real hard at work, and um, which means I got to take real good care of my body exercise-wise, and I try to limit junk, even though somebody was just gave me a lemon tart in the last meeting, and it was so, dude, it was so good. <laughs> um, and last night, I ended up, I don't know, we played some weird tag game with swords and tennis balls, 
pegging each other, me and my two kids running around with no shoes on in the grass last night. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a combination of relaxing, getting outside, exercise and moving your body, trying to eat right and human connection. Those are the, those are the cornerstones there. Yeah. And what are you doing from a daily standpoint from, I, I have what I call my daily planner, right? And so here's, here's tomorrow already. It's not, it's not tomorrow yet. So it's empty. You probably can't see it on the camera, but I've got my things from meditation to my mood, to the weather, to my water intake, book reading, exercise, you know, what I'm grateful for, all those things. Like, what am I following you around? And, and how do you live this crazy life that you're living? And I think you said maybe July, you can come up for some air. Yeah. I have to be really intentional about the seasons coming up. And I think this whole idea of balance is shenanigans. It's not real. Right. Um, where I can find balance is if me and my wife are on the same page and me and my wife and kids. And so a good example of that is in August of last year, um, I knew that of uh, this year, I had a hammer uh, it was last year of, of a deadline to finish this book and um they actually left town for a week but in that august i, we, I mean that august we sat down and said all right here's what the next seven to nine months is going to look like getting this book out it's going to be a wild deadline and it's going to be a crazy season of editing and then even a nuttier season of media and then i'm going to be on the road pushing this thing and come june we're going to slow down a little bit and come july you and i are getting out of here and we're going to be gone off the grid for a while and the kids, hey, we're going to be off the grid for a while. And so anybody can do anything for a long time if we set that up. We just have to say, okay, here's the season. What I would have done in a former life is just enter into writing a book. And then all of a sudden it gets busy. And then all of a sudden this, and we never talk about it. And then my wife all of a sudden isn't seeing me that much. And she's like, well, I guess it's just my life. And I think, man, my wife's all grumpy now. I guess this is just my life. And all of a sudden we wake up and we're 55 and we're sharing a bed for, with each other, but we don't know who each other is anymore. Yeah. So now it's about intentionality. Um, usually I don't have one today. Usually I carry on a note card. Yours is way more sophisticated. I just get a note card and write down what I have going on the next day. And I carry that note card around with me and just mark it off. It's a pretty lo-fi way of doing life. And then when it comes to morning routine stuff, I've gotten over the last three or four years, I've gotten so in tune with my body. Um, I'm pretty good about knowing when to go and when to go and when to go and when to one of the things I have added in is um, at the recommendation of Dr. Peter Tia's work um, is I've added much more zone two, which is 45, 50, 60 minutes of 30 minutes sometimes of usually riding a bike um, and it, at a pace that I can keep a conversation going. And it's a it's a restorative um, exercise for your body. And then I go pretty hard on some other days. Yeah. And that's, that's key. I, I think that's, I'm going to go to that in a second, but you, you made a point here just a second ago. You said your note card, marking it off. I think for people that don't, I'm not, a, I've not been a long term, you know, guy that's marking stuff off. I just, I was trying to keep it all in my head. But I think as you get busier and there's more things going on in life, man, you can't remember everything. No. And there is power though in marking it off. Yeah. There's, there's a power in, in achievement. And if you have, a significant depressive disorder and you get institutionalized, you get hospitalized. One of the, one of the, the mainstays moving forward is little wins mm. today. What we're going to do is you're going to get out of bed and you're going to put on some lipstick and you're going to lay it back down. Or today, what you're going to do is you're going to get out of bed and you're going to brush your teeth and you're going to go back to bed. And what we're doing is we're just building these little bitty wins and they build on themselves over and over. And they're as simple as taking a, your note card out and, or whatever app you have, whatever it is, and drawing a line through it and saying, got it. And I can't use um, my phone generally because 
it's an addiction machine. And I know if yeah. I open that thing up, I'm going to be down a rabbit hole of some sort. So I keep it on a note card because I can't control yeah. myself. When you're and in somebody else's agenda. At, yeah. And someone, well, and somebody else is designed in mean, that box is designed for other people to make money off of me. Yeah. And so, um, I just need to know, I don't need all that. I just need to know what I need to do today when I need to be where. So I'm going to put that on a note card and put it in my pocket. How, how often are you looking at your vision? Like where you want to be three, five, 10, 30, whatever, how far your vision is. How many, how often are you looking at that? How, how honest do you want me to be with that? Very honest. Um, I've gotten to a point where I, I don't know that I fully am invested in that type of, um, finality. Um, Here's what I've seen working with business leaders for years. They get a goal in mind. We're going to have $100 million in sales by the end of this year. We're going to have 5,000 students by the end of this year. And pretty early on in Q1, man, we have a deficit of some sort. Q2, that deficit either shrinks a little bit and everybody starts patting themselves on the back and they take their foot off the gas a little bit or it grows a little bit more. Q3 becomes a quarter of explanations, excuses, figuring out ways to cut corners, figuring out ways to change numbers. And all of a sudden, why you're doing what you're doing, who you're serving with what you're doing goes completely out the wayside. And then it becomes a, this manic obsession with making this vision a reality. And I've just seen leader after leader after leader crash at the cross of their own vision that, by the way, often didn't even exist, wasn't even real. And so for me, my vision, if you will, comes back to, am I helping people be a little bit more peaceful in their life? Am I helping people do a little bit better in the day, be a little bit better parents, a little better husbands? And so the reality for me is, um, uh, if I got fired today, I would be awful. I'm, my, the, the money's great and the job's great and I get to work in the air conditioning, that'd be awesome. Um, then I'd probably go back to being a college professor or I'd go back to being a high school teacher. I did that for a few years. I loved that job. I was a basketball coach. I was so fun. Um, and my job would be about, my life would be about helping people do a little bit better. And so my vision for myself really is less about professional, less about accumulation, and more about who am I going to be wherever it is that I am. Yeah. Um, hope that I hope that makes sense there. Well, it does. And I'm going to go back to this. We're going to go back into my therapy session here. And, and so I came from an environment that was very sales-driven, have to have this vision, these things, right, to survive and be successful. And then when we started Visionary Wealth Advisors eight, eight plus years ago, you slowly start to get away from that, right? So we're not a sales culture. It's a, it's a helping people achieve a future greater than your past culture. And it's crazy because what you said, I mean, you could have knocked me over the feather there because I beat myself up over the fact that this massive vision, this 20-year vision, 10-year vision is not there because I'm so focused. And I think our team and our advisors are so focused on this mission right here, helping you achieve a future greater than your past. That it's about that, right? It's about building the platform for our advisors that they can go out and deliver to their clients. And if we can do that every day, we're going to wake up 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years in a better spot, right? Yeah, what's, that, what's that old Zig Ziglar line? If you help enough people, money takes care of itself. Right. Yeah. If you help enough people get what they want, you'll ultimately get what you want. Right. I, 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 I can't think of something that has more wisdom to that. Yeah. Um, a, a good corollary is in higher education where I come from. You used to have a group of faculty members who were teachers and you had a group of faculty members who were scientists and the scientists, like we all pitched in through our tax dollars to support local universities. And that was a great, wonderful thing. We got untold discoveries out of these. Uh, we all pitched in a little bit on our tax dollars and 
these scientists were writing studies about fun, discovering medicine and new ways to build bridges and new ways to do roofing, all kinds of cool things. And then the, the field shifted ever so slightly to the professor's job was graded on how many publications they got. And so now the incentive is less to spend an entire lifetime creating great knowledge or great science. And it was, I got to get some more articles out. And now several major fields have some really challenging ethical dilemmas ahead of them because these studies that came out that were so sensational, that got somebody a lot of press, all of a sudden was, uh, have, have not been able to be reproduced. They're being discredited, right? So why did I tell you that? Anytime you take your eyes off, who is the person I'm trying to serve? Who's the person? And I don't care if you're making tires, if you do oil changes, if you are a surgeon doing brain surgery or you're a financial planner, that your eyes always have to be on the person that you're serving. You do have to have some sense of like, how big can we grow this thing? We've got too many customers. Sure. We don't have enough to keep the lights on. There is a business realities. I'm not, I'm not Pollyanna here. But anytime you start making it about, hey, we've got to hit bigger numbers versus we got to serve more people, man, that's when you make a deal with the devil. And it's really hard to wind that sucker back. Yeah, no, you're right. And so let's, let's talk to this about, uh, if you can be transparent with this, which I know you will be, but if your wife was sitting here, we switched it, the camera to her and we interviewed her and asked her about John Deloney. We said, okay, talk to us about the John Deloney that we don't see with the makeup and the clothes and the lights are on him. He's asking questions and being the, the great guy that he is. What does he stand for and what, what makes him be the guy that you want to be married to? Hmm. Um. I'll answer, the, I'll answer that question. I love that question. Um, but here's, I, I learned this this year. During Christmas, my family was over. It was just a stressful Christmas. And um, we had a house full of people. And it was day two, day three, day five. And all kind of stuff going on. And I was feeling awful. I, was, I, I was, wasn't feeling good at all. But I had to get that workout in. Because I have to keep this smoking hot facade. And I'm, I'm being <laughs> here. Um, so that my wife would still doesn't just happen, does it? It doesn't just happen. Not 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 at this level, brother. Right. (laughs) Uh, but I was walking downstairs and and I've got a fairly extensive home gym, and I was walking downstairs and she said, What are you doing? Go lay down. And I and my thought was, I gotta keep this up because I want you to keep liking me. And I said something along the lines of, like, I made a joke, um, like, hey, this, this, this fancy body you see before you isn't come cheap. I made some joke just to kind of yeah. pass away. And she said, 20%, John, 20%. And I said, what is that supposed to mean? And she said, the way you look, which is great, is about 20% of the reason I love you. Mm. The rest of it is not that. Go lay down, please. And I stopped. And I was like, 20%? What do you mean? Like I've been invested way more than that. And then she, she lopped on there and I forgot the number, but it was low. She goes, and about 10 or 15% is how much money you make. And I was like, those are my two things. What do you mean? Exactly. Take away my, my income and my gym time. Like who am? And so I've had that out of balance in my head for a long time. Those are stories I've been chasing demons. I've been chasing now for a long, long time, which is you got to make this much money or you haven't quote unquote made it. Um, you and I may have talked about this last time, but dude, it hit me like a ton of bricks right when I started working here. Like, man, you take all of the vacations you did or didn't go on, all the jobs you haven't had or you have had, all of the degrees you do or don't have, all the braces you didn't have to buy or you did buy, and you distill all that down. And we ask ourselves in this culture one question, what are you worth? And we answer that number with a 
I mean, we have to answer that question with a number. Shame on us, dude. That's ridiculous. And I had done it. How much do I weigh and how much money do I have in my account? And so she gave me a, a she read all that off. So to flip that back around, I think she would tell you that she loves me because um, I'm, I, I'm genuinely a pretty, pretty nice guy. I try to be a pretty good guy. And I genuinely, genuinely care about the well-being of other people. And um, I run too hard and I'm too, I, <laughs> I'm too naive a lot. Um, I just waltz into situations and I think everything's going to be fine. Um, uh, but ultimately. Um, but that's I'm critically important, man. Right. I mean, the thing I can just walk into a room and everything's going to be all right. That's a good attitude, man. It is, but it also can get you killed. <laughs> well, and uh, it can get you in some dicey situations when, um, you know, yeah, I'll just leave it there. But you know it, what? It, I'd like to be in the foxhole with you, though. You may think that, but, but I would also say you would know pretty damn quickly if it's going to be bad and you're going to get killed, you would be able to back up, make the plan. And and go attack and get the right team members around you to make. Oh, it if I know where to fight for sure, where I usually don't know is somebody calls and says, "Hey, could you come over and help me with an issue?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'll swing by." Yeah, I didn't know that was going to be a 12 hour thing. And I tell my wife, and she's like, "Of course, that's going to be 12 hours." And so that's where I get naive, yeah. and that's when I got to be careful not to use other people's pain to prop up my self esteem. Um, which is this a, was some danger. Sorry, I, I was just I was going to share this. So this is from my uh, son's uh, soccer coach, uh, soccer coach Skip Birdsong, and he put this on Facebook today, and I thought it was really strong. And when you, with your educational background, it says, "Teachers, when you're at graduation this year and your coworkers are crowded around the bubbly, highest achieving students that have all the cords and were in all the clubs, make a point to find that student with the IEP that rarely spoke, struggle with your class, and hit them with the most inspirational words you can pull off the uh, out of the well." That student has just climbed their Everest. That, uh, that's so beautiful, man. Isn't that that's awesome? So beautiful. That reminds me of that quote, uh, be nice to everybody. Be kind to everybody because everyone's fighting a war that you can't see. I yeah. did that quote that that coach put up there is, is, is stunning. Here's the thing. I barely, barely was in the top half of my class in high school. I made straight A's in undergrad zero times. And a couple of times I tried really hard. Yeah. And then I ended up with two PhDs and um, I've got two number one best-selling books, right? So yes, find the kid in the corner that isn't the shiny kid, that isn't the sparkly kid, that's actually the struggling kid. Yeah. And yeah, make sure that you look them in the eye and say, I see you and I still love you. It's strong. That's awesome. what, what did you, uh, what have you learned in these last two years, man, coming out of this pandemic, this world was shut down. And uh, what, what have you learned most from that? Do you think? Um. The, the big neon sign that is, um, I think is rattling through our hearts and minds right now is that we are radically, radically lonely. And yeah. I don't mean that just in proximity. I don't mean just that because people were in masks. I mean, we are profoundly lonely and we've outsourced all of our relationships to the internet and to digital communication. And um, it's a fascinating scholarship on loneliness, but um, when you're lonely, dude, you're, you don't sleep as, as deeply because your brain knows that you got to be on guard all the time. Yep. And there are zero, none, not a single psychiatric um, disorder that doesn't include disordered sleep. And we used to think that it was you had anxiety, so you didn't sleep well. And now they're starting to flip that and say, wait a minute, I think a season of not sleeping well starts your body starts to shake and say, hey, we're not OK. We're not OK. Hence, that's anxiety. And so um, 
when you're alone, think about it this way. 5,000 years ago, you're all by yourself in the woods and a, and a twig snaps in the woods. It's probably a frog. 99% chance it's a frog. 1% chance it's a bear. If you've got 30 people around, you can holler out, hey, what is that? If it's just you, your brain automatically, 100% of the time, goes full bear. Because if you're wrong, it, you're dead. If you're wrong and it's just a frog, no harm, no foul. So the two big important things about loneliness is, number one, the biochemical poison of loneliness is killing us. The second thing is uh, it makes us see things that aren't there. And right now we are seeing threats everywhere. We've gone to war with public schools and with doctors. We're seeing threats everywhere, yeah. everywhere. Do we have problems? For sure. Is the world, I mean, is it, it's not that. It's, it's, we've lost our minds. And I believe it's all uniquely um, resting on how absolutely lonely we all are. Devastatingly lonely. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good uh, thought, man. But, uh, it's true. I, I think back even to like opening day. I'm looking, you can't see my Cardinal hats over here. It's a big Cardinal fan here in St. Louis. We, I went to opening day. And you know, I've gone opening day, I don't know how many, 25 times probably in my life. I mean, a lot, a lot, right? We, we jokingly call it a national holiday for my family. But it, I, I, it was something like I've never seen before. I mean, the amount of people that were down there, and I think the world's craving it again, man. And, I, and I'm sure we can all say this, this, that one thing, and whether it's a conference, I was talking to a guy today. He's like, I'm at my first conference in two years. And he was like, fired up. He's like, there's people everywhere. There's 700 people. Here. Oh, dude, I, I, did a couple of, I did a couple of book signings. It was like a punk rock show, man. And <laughs> here's what I, I, at first I was like, that's what I'm talking about. And then I realized, Oh no, people are so desperate for like oh, a thing, a thing. Let's go. Right. And they all go to a Barnes and Noble on a Tuesday yeah. night, right? There's some dude signing a book, honey. I don't know. I'm, I'm in. a doctor in front of his name. He's got a radio. <laughs> I'm in. Exactly. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, I, I, I'm hoping people get out and start being with one another again. So obviously, I mean, you can find a book, Barnes and Noble. You can find it on Amazon, Own Your Past, Change Your Future by Dr. John Deloney. Uh, check it out. Also, check out Redefining Anxiety. I'll end with this, man. I, I. I ask everybody on this show about fears and we're not going to go into this, but I always say how many of the fears blow up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be. It's almost zero. Right. Mm. And I've been saying this now for five plus years on this podcast about your fears. And I have not flown in an airplane for, uh, it'll be eight years this June. So next month, eight years had a bad deal above New York city, drove home from it, flying back down to the Carolinas. I drove home, haven't been on a plane since. Um, and so I'm flying in June. And Atta so you're boy. talking about these fears, right? And so yeah. I think to myself, okay, if I'm going to sit here every week and talk about these damn fears and I'm not doing it, well, then shame <laughs> on me, right? Good so I'm you. doing it, but how do we get over those fears? And I, and don't, you don't have to focus just on me, but for anybody that's driving and exercising right now, we all have these things right up here between our ears and they're freaking dangerous, aren't they? Terrible, terrible thoughts. How do we stop that crap? Mm. Um. Number one, bravo to you, dude. It's awesome. Um, just phobia 101 is the response is uh, something they call exposure therapy. So let's say you are completely freaked out to the bone about snakes. What they'll do in a counseling setting is they'll have you draw a picture with a crayon of a snake and you'll talk about it and, and <laughs> the therapist will draw one with you. And that progresses to like National Geographic photos, and then we probably move to a YouTube clip, right? And so you're, you're teaching your body how to regulate itself in tiny little doses along the way. 
until you finally get to um, she brings in a snake and puts it in an aquarium on the other side of the room and you just do your therapy session in there and it's over there and your heart's beating and you finally right until finally you're holding the snake. That's the end. Yeah. And so th- that's the way they treat most phobias. Um, some phobias, some fears, if you will. Um, I talked to somebody today, their wife had on my show had deep and profound um, addiction issues with opioids and ultimately was in a, in a, um, in a mental institution. And their kid was struggling with some behavioral outbursts. It, it's completely expected, but they want him to go get a psyche valve. And this husband had this terrifying fear that he's going to go get the eval. They're going to put him on meds. And all of a sudden, the yes. cycle is going to repeat himself. And so to tell him, your fear is 100% real. And when your fear is 100% real, what I know is our brains don't work well. And so I've got to have other people with me. And so I tell a story in the book where I had this fear that my house was falling apart. And I really believe that I kept finding the cracks above the doors. And I thought they were in the foundation. They weren't, dude. I was delusional. But I felt like my house was falling apart. And one of my, and I had experts come over, contractors come over, and they're like, dude, your house is fine. And finally, I had one of my college roommates um, who I love deeply, still one of my, of my best buddies. And he came over, he brought his wife and a couple of kids. And um, he came out and looked at it all. His dad was in construction. And we walked out on my driveway. I'll never forget this. And he crossed his arms and he looked at me. And he said, hey, your house is good. It's strong. And then he said, I don't ever want to hear this again. And what I didn't know at the time was that my wife had called him and said, hey, I'm worried about John. He's not okay. But that was the moment when I realized, okay, maybe the fear isn't the thing. Maybe it's me. And I only got that other view from somebody that I loved and trusted, which going back to that loneliness thing. If you've got fear in your life, you've got to have other people in your life because you can count on one thing. You are not seeing north clearly period and so you may your body may react in that as you're walking on that plane as though time is coming to an end and that's where you will look at the people with you you'll hold somebody's hand somebody will have their hand around your neck and you will be able to rely on their strength to get you into that plane and to hold you your hands or hold your spirit as y'all take off right so it's relying on one another which is how we were designed to, to live and it's hopefully that my derelict buddies that'll be on the plane with me that are already telling me they're going to be like, oh, did you hear that noise? Oh my God, the plane's <laughs> going down. <laughs> and hey, humor is an incredible mechanism yeah. too, man. Yeah. Yeah, they can, they can probably spin you up. And we all have yeah. that buddy, you know, that we're all poking on and they look oh, at yeah. you and they go, dude, stop, stop. And everybody goes, all right, cool, cool. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's everybody. Good for yeah. you. I'm going to try to find that flight, dude. And I'm yeah. going to, <laughs> it's going to exactly. be, exactly. it's worth yeah. me paying to be on that flight. Cause I'm going to give it to you. That'd be awesome. Yeah. No, I've, I've even thought about just you know, flying, you know, Nashville or Chicago or somewhere. It's a 45 minute flight from here. You know what I mean? Just get that first one over versus flying all the way. We're going to Tahoe. So instead of going, you know, my first one being a three or four hour flight. Yeah. I'd probably do. Yeah. Probably do a shorter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably makes yeah. Sense. yeah. It might make sense. <laughs> I'll come down and see you in Nashville. That's right. I've That's never, cool. uh, been a professional boxer i'm not going to spar i'm just going to do a 12 round fight that's good yeah. yeah you should probably do a little yeah. little fight here man probably yeah, come not on down to Nashville, man we'll go hang out get some chips and queso awesome man well hey where can we find more john deloney yeah you can go to john deloney.com uh you can check out this incredible podcast is another way you find it but uh, you can go to john deloney.com and uh find me there you can find my show on youtube or anywhere you get podcasts. awesome man well thanks so much for being with us again john always great to have you all right you're a blessing brother come hang out Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, 
and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.